good morning. Uh, good morning, Christ City Church. Hey, I'll take it. Happy New Year. Um, I want to express a, a, a particular Happy New Year to uh, my fellow printer owners. Um, <laughs> mine sits right next to my landline, which is a rotary phone. I don't know where yours is, but, uh, but happy, happy New Year nonetheless. I also want to, um, I know that we have some uh, friends that are here that are in D.C. for uh, the Q Christian Fellowship Conference that just took place. Uh, Q is a, a, a national organization that's based here in D.C. that uh, Christ City has been the tremendous beneficiaries of. It's an annual or biannual conference, I believe, uh, where it's just a gathering of LGBTQ uh, pastors and Christians and theologians um, considering how it is that we, uh, it's just a gift to the church. How do we care for the LGBT community? How do we learn from them as they are uh, practicing um, theologizing and searching the scriptures and pointing us uh, a way forward? So welcome, really uh, honored to be among your number, honored that you're here with us this morning and grateful for your work. Um, and uh, please greet your communities wherever it is that, that has sent you here and let them know that we send greetings uh, to those places from Christ City in Washington, D.C. So welcome, um, happy new year, uh, glad that you're here. I, uh, I pray that you've had an amazing start uh, to this to, to new year, you know, got a new calendar, day planner, whatever it is you're, you're rocking over there, or at least, uh, you know, or at least you've had a better start than Congress. Um, <laughs> goodness gracious. I said it out loud. Uh, and listen, and, and, and look, and if your start to 2023 has been kind of more of a sputter than like a, a launch or a burst where, uh, you know, week one of 52, you're like, I think I kind of need a mulligan on that first one. I just, uh, you know, I just want you to know that it's, that it's not how you start and there's always an opportunity to start again. It's okay. There's grace and goodness and it's a new day. So wherever it is that you are, uh, happy new year. Uh, as a church, 2022, um, uh, not even just as a church, but just as a, as a community, 2022, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, uh, not for our city or for the region or for the world or for uh, Christ City, but it was a genuinely amazing year for us. Um, we were able to add Jocelyn Henderson to the staff as well as celebrate... <laughs> As well as uh, celebrating her, uh, licensing her as a minister of the gospel of Jesus, we held our first in-person Easter service in three Easter's. Well, that, was, that happened in 2022. We worked with our partners at the Washington Interfaith Network and other D.C. churches to secure promises, not just from the D.C. mayor's office, but also from local developers for significant increases in affordable housing in our community through, the advocacy, through our advocacy and organizing efforts. Not only that, but we established a fund that Justin referenced earlier, a fund to assist Christ City young people to make the transition from adolescence into adulthood following high school graduation, whether they, take, whether they go to college or start a trade or wherever it is. And then we also distributed those funds to three youth in our community. We had a slew of babies born. Praise God. All you new families, I know some of y'all at home. Good, that's great. In your pajamas with your babies. Praise God. Happy New Year. We celebrated five years as Christ City Church and our 10th year as a worshiping community. And we began a strategic plan for moving forward in faith for the next five. And we raised a heap of money, this year's Advent offering, and we're going to give and support those organizations and initiatives. God has blessed us in 2022. Can we just say thank you to the Lord for that? Yes. 
And I do want to say, I want to add my voice to the, to the course of what Justin has already said, that the Lord accomplished this work. It was by the might and leadership of the Lord's, to be sure. And through the pastors and elders, yes. And I praise God for the leadership of this church, even as it may sound like I'm sort of tooting my own horn, but I got to tell you, I am the least among these. But the way that the Lord moved primarily was by moving through you. Through those of you that, that sit here and worship with us each morning, through your prayers and your faithfulness to serve, through your discipleship and your seeking of the Lord and your seeking of the welfare of your neighbors and your generosity and your fervor of spirit, that's the way that the Lord primarily moved through us this year. Last year is what I meant. In a day when it can seem that churches produce more celebrity pastors than faithful disciples and more scandalous headlines than displays of compassion, let us continue to be a church where our first love is for the Lord and our second is like it that we love our neighbors. Let us continue to be those that, that find creative and faithful and courageous and nuanced ways to be salt and light in our communities. Let us seek to make the name of God great and display the beauty and welcome of God's just community everywhere where we set our collective feet and lay our collective heads. Church, let us love well in the year ahead because we could do all these things, but if we don't love well, we just make a noise. Let us love well in the year ahead, just as we've done in the year behind, but in greater breadth and in deeper depth. And I got to tell you, this is my prayer for us as a community. This is a prayer for me as a, as a guy that lives at the corner of E and 17th in Southeast D.C. And so before we just move on with, with getting into Mark, I just want to pause just for a minute. And I just want to pray this over us. Pray a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of commissioning for us as we continue into week two of 52 in 2023. Holy Spirit, we do pray that, that with, our, with our lips and with our lives that you hear us saying Hosanna, that you hear us praying that, that, that with our lives as we dance around the city and around the DMV, God, that you would, that, that too would be an act of, of proclamation and demonstration of your great love. God, I do pray that for us individually and us corporately, that you would deepen and lengthen our love for you and our love for our neighbors, God. Let us continue to move in humility. Let us shed the pride and continue to look out for each other, to care for ourselves and to care for the wider world around us, God. And I pray that we get to this spot next year and we're looking back and we're saying God has saved God has moved and God has worked in us and through us and by his grace allowed us to participate in the movement of God's kingdom. God, I pray that this would be true. And Lord, by your generosity and by your hand that it, it would be becoming true in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over, uh, over Christmas... Uh, Lisa and I, my wife Lisa and I, and uh, our kiddos, we've got three kiddos, we went to Miami to celebrate uh, Christmas uh, with Lisa's family. Lisa's family's uh, all in, in Miami for the most part. And one of the highlights of the trip was spending Christmas afternoon with Lisa's grandfather, Benito Rodriguez. Uh, we call him Papi. Papi fled Cuba in 1961 on Christmas Day, actually. Uh, and he, you know, with his family following the Cuban Revolution, they end up landing in Miami. It's a long, windy story. Uh, you can read about it in a book that my wife has published recently. So, um, 
So we're there with Poppy, Christmas Day. You know, here we are, 61 years after Poppy left Cuba. We found ourselves in his living room listening to Poppy's stories for hours. The thing about Poppy is he's a talker, my guy, nonstop. <laughs> All right, he's a storyteller. Uh, and for most of his life, he was a pastor of a congregation there in Miami, in Miami, Ebenezer Baptist Church, made up of Cuban immigrants and Cuban Americans. And the other thing about Poppy is that he's 100 years old. Uh, and he's still got a rapier sharp mind and a, just a brilliant um, mind. And when you've lived 100 years old, you've lived, you've lived lifetimes at that point. And so you've got stories to tell. You've got wisdom to dispense. And you've earned the right to be heard. Uh, and so we listened. We listened to Poppy as Poppy told story after story after story after story. And then he recycled a bunch of them and told <laughs> the same stories after stories. And in between his stories, like he'd pause and like take a breath and we'd be like, all right, let's insert. And so we'd like jump in. We'd ask a question. Hey, Poppy, so what was this like? Or how did that go? Or tell me again. And he's like, oh. And he would begin each story. He goes, oh, well, that's a story. And then he would just launch in for another 45 minutes into some other story. And he would preach to us. Now, he's been retired from, from pastoring for a few years, and so he doesn't get to preach that often. And so here we are, kind of a captive congregation. We're sitting there, and Poppy's giving us the business and letting us know and telling us all these mini sermons about Jesus' love and the power of the gospel. And he would preach, and he would storytell. And the thing is, he would preach and storytell, and he would flash back and forth in between English and Spanish. And so, you know, you got to kind of keep up. And at one point, he's preaching a mini-sermon on the parable of the seeds that are sown in the soil, sown in the rocky soil, and sown among the thorns. And it was at this point that I learned that the Spanish word for thorns is epinas, which sounds like another English word that I'm not going to repeat in this moment. Uh, but it caused my children to sit up and look at me in horror at what their great-grandfather had just said, which causes me to do everything I can and not bust out laughing in the middle of Poppy's mini-sermon. I look over at Lisa, who's across the room, and is fluent in Spanish and is tracking completely and can't understand why we are laughing at the word epinas in this moment and how it is that seeds are sown in the epinas. And we just look like, I don't know, please, Poppy, stop. <laughs> that Christmas, we heard stories. We heard gospel stories, man, from Poppy. Stories that emerged from his family and from his faith and from his life. We heard stories of adventure, stories of risk and conflict, and ultimately stories of God's providence. And what lingered in that moment and in the moments since, receiving those verbal Christmas gifts from Poppy is an invitation to live a similar life marked by faith, and resilience, and adventure, and risk, and confidence in God. Uh, today, we're going to return to a series of stories that we started a year ago. Stories that we started listening to at the beginning of 2022 that came out of Mark's gospel. Stories that, like poppies, are, are filled with revolution, and violence, and adventure, and acts of heroic faith, and kindness of strangers, stories of, of deception and betrayal and stories of the most beautiful forms of love, stories of meals and conversations and transformations. And all of those stories have a sum total of an invitation, an invitation to life with God and for God. Today we step back into Mark's gospel Picking up in chapter 11, and over the next 15 weeks, we will read through and preach through and uh, reflect through the remaining chapters of Mark leading into Easter. And in it all, what we want to do is we want to consider Jesus' invitation to life. 
This is to be our recurring theme throughout the section of Mark. How do we really live? How are, how are we to live? How are we to live well and live rightly and live justly and live holy and live selflessly and carefully and godly? How do we, how do we really live? And as we make our way through Mark, I want to invite you actually to take advantage of, of two tools, the two resources that we have available that, that we believe will help massage Mark's message and Jesus' invitation more deeply into your soul. We've, we've referenced them already, but the first is the, is the reading guide. The teaching team, they prepared this guide for you, for you to use daily or weekly. It takes the remaining sections of Mark and it breaks them into bite-sized reading sections, typically 20 verses or so. It includes reflection questions. You can read the passage sort of leading into the week. And then the second resource is small groups. Small groups have been, they've been on break for much of December. They'll resume next week, a couple weeks. I encourage you to find your way into one. Many of the groups are going to be reflecting on Mark's gospel and specifically encouraging each other and challenging each other to consider what it means to live in light of Jesus. Mark opens chapter 11 by setting the stage for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Let's look again at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back there shortly. Back here short, shortly. The, the, the first... Um, the first 11 verses of Mark 11, they're kind of broken into these different movements that you can see when you read it. They sort of, it's set the stage, it's secure the cult, enter Jerusalem, and then kind of the conclusion. But it's the opening words that really set the tone for what's ahead as they approached Jerusalem. As they entered the city. This begins to mark a turn in, this, in Mark's gospel. So much of Mark's gospel has been sort of around Jerusalem in these set of towns on the outskirts, yet much of the story has been leading to this point, to the entering of Jerusalem, Jesus' arrival into this capital city. The rest of the gospel from this point forward, the concluding five chapters, will all take place over the course of a week of Jesus' life, and they're going to take place in this city. The previous ten chapters have been located in any number of a dozen cities, covered years of Jesus' life, but now at this point, beginning in chapter 11, the pace of the action of an already action-packed gospel, the pace picks up and there's a driving tempo to the story that begins to lead to the cross. Jesus approaches the place of his eventual betrayal, his eventual death, and his eventual resurrection. And there's just this mounting tension in the story, and there's tension as he approaches the religious center of his world and the home base for all of those that he's been in conflict with up to this point. And he's pushing against uh, these that have been pushing against his life and pushing against his teachings. And Jesus' arrival into that capital city 2,000 years ago was the first move of God making good on God's promise to heal and to save. I'll say that again, that, that Jesus' entry into this capital city 2,000 years ago was the first move of God making good on God's promise to heal and to save. The seasons leading up to Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem were filled with their own waves of violence and pandemic and oppression. The, the sort of recent history of Israel leading up to Jesus' arrival, there was news of unrest and protest. There was mass murder that sort of hung in the collective air of Jesus' day, even as it does in ours. 
A hundred years before Jesus' birth, Rome had seized control of Jerusalem. And the Caesar at the time, Antiochus Epiphanes, enacted a campaign to desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by demanding sacrifices to Zeus be made there. An act of shame and humiliation exercised on the backs of a defeated, colonized people. A generation before Jesus' birth, in the town of Magdala, a town about as far from Jesus' home in Nazareth as the Tinley Town metro stop is from the Anacostia boathouse. Magdala was destroyed by Rome and its uh, residents taken as slaves. Scholars believe that Mary Magdalene was likely from this town, that her ancestors may have been victims of the unspeakable violence that took place there. Similarly, the town of Emmaus, where Jesus would, made, would make his, final, his last walk following his resurrection, was likewise, it had been gutted by political and military and economic devastation. And with each wave of the empire's violence against Israel's citizens, there lay in the wake burned homes and widowed brides and parentless children and all the evil byproducts of the machinations of widespread oppression in the name of nation-building and national security. And wherever those living under the boot of oppression would speak out or push back against Roman retaliation, well, Rome would, would, would respond with wickedness. The first century Jewish uh, historian Josephus was a contemporary of Jesus. He wrote that Rome burned towns and rounded up anyone who resisted their occupation in any form and crucified them. One of the Roman generals, uh, in particular, General Titus, was particularly noteworthy. He is said to have killed up to 500 folks daily. So many that Josephus notes, space could not be found for the crosses nor crosses for the bodies. Rome would crucify protesters and label them bandits. There's a long tradition for empires to slander those protesting and longing for freedom and justice and calling them by names other than testifiers for change. Rome called them bandits. We call them other things today. But it is all in an attempt to delegitimize the cause of the oppressed and sanctify the work of militarism on the part of those in power. It is with this context and into this cultural moment that Jesus enters Jerusalem, a colonized capital, on a Sunday, just days ahead of the Jewish festival of Passover, the very holiday that would mem that's meant to memorialize Jewish liberation from slavery. Jesus, along with the disciples, they come into Jerusalem with throngs of other religious pilgrims in order to celebrate Passover, to remember the exodus out of Egypt, to worship and to pray and to cry and to dance and to feast and to remember that God, that Yahweh, is the God who saves. This is precisely what those uh, that are waving palm branches that day were shouting. As Mark's gospel describes later on in the chapter in verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people, they spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed, they shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds, they, they placed their cloak on Jesus' colts and on the ground for Jesus. They, they waved palm branches, and, and, and which were signs of royalty and signs of honor, and they shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna is the Greek word for save us or the one who saves. 
And you see, what they're actually shouting, what they're actually singing in this moment was a psalm that was sung by pilgrims entering Jerusalem for Passover. It was Psalm 118. That psalm in verse 5, 118 verse 5, it says this, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He, God, brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. The Lord is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. You see, what they're singing in this moment is they're singing protest songs. They're singing ancient versions of we shall overcome. They're singing songs of liberation. They are singing uh, first century anthems of freedom in the midst of their captors. It's a Palestinian version of ain't nobody going to turn me round, turn me round. I'm going to keep on walking. I'm going to keep on talking. Marching down to freedom land. Ain't going to let Jim Crow turn me round, turn me round. Ain't going to let no white supremacy turn me round. I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking, marching on to freedom's land. They're singing and protesting in the midst of an occupied capital, surrounded geographically and historically by their captors and oppressors, yet on the eve of their celebration, remembering a deliverance that took place generations ago, they're expressing hope for another salvation that they believed was just on the horizon. They sung a psalm that goes on in rousing fashion in verses 24 through 26. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what that first Palm Sunday was. This is what Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was. It was, a, it was a protest. It was a celebration. It was an anticipation. It was a lament and a song for joy. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Just as you have done in the past, do it again. It was a declaration of independence and a declared belief that God was going to act. And it was going to be marvelous, as the psalmist says. Jesus joins the, the Passover protest with his own message, though. He joins the movement with his own imagery. Jesus rides into town on a colt. Now, Matthew's gospel, in recounting this event, says there was also a donkey there. I'm not exactly sure if it was one or if it was the other or if it was both, but it's safe to say Jesus came riding in on something other than a powerful thoroughbred. All right? And he comes with his, like, raggly group of disciples. Isn't how liberators of cities enter? They enter on war horses with suits for battle, surrounded by well-trained and well-equipped soldiers. And Jesus, in contrast, he comes in surrounded by untrained, uneducated disciples, fishermen and tax collectors and teenagers, none of them with any military training or any air of nobility, simple and unassuming. And Jesus isn't astride a stallion equipped for war, but he's riding in on the back of a borrowed ass. He's making a mockery of the ways of the world that celebrated the rich and powerful. And he's communicating a message that said that his kingdom wasn't just going to be a better version of Rome. He wasn't trying to make Rome great again. It wasn't going to be a different type of dictatorship. 
We're going to come by simple acts of reform as if one could simply reform the demonic powers of oppression. Jesus wanted to illustrate the way out of Rome's grip. It wasn't in appealing to Rome nor in trying to overthrow Rome by military might, but it was in an altogether alternative kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus entered demonstrating and proclaiming was a kingdom whose origins were found in God's great love for humanity. A kingdom whose goodness was sung in the songs of those psalmists who sang in the presence of Jesus that day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They sang Hosanna in the highest heaven. An echo of the chorus that the angels sang at Jesus' birth in Luke 2 that we looked at during Advent. When the angels sang glory to God in the highest heaven. With this scene of Jesus entering Jerusalem, or excuse me, when this scene of Jesus entering, the, uh, entering Jerusalem is recounted in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees, they get angry at Jesus. And they're angry that the people are singing this psalm to Jesus. And they demand that Jesus tell his followers to stop singing. Jesus replies in Luke 19, he says to them, look, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. See, worship of God and the exaltation of God's name and salvation, shouts of Hosanna, God save us, celebrations of God's rescue of humanity and soon renewal of all creation will not, cannot, won't not be silent. In the midst of Jesus, upside down, absurdly triumphal entry, worship was the music to which he marched. God's songs of, of greatness and goodness Songs reminding us that God is mighty to save. Songs of, of salvation is what carried Christ and his followers into the city that needed liberation and healing. That is what moved forward and what carried forward. Now, I think if I could just kind of turn the corner on this this morning and, and just maybe kind of land this a little bit, is to say this, that, that you and I, we're Jerusalem, actually, individually and collectively. We are those who, like Jerusalem, have been ransacked by an enemy. Though beautiful, all of us, brilliant, every single one of us, div with divine worth, every single one of us, we are all in need of salvation and liberation. We all have areas in our lives and in the world that we occupy where we would say, Hosanna, God save us. Collectively in our city, there are places where we can all and should all be shouting, Hosanna, God save us. As we see the brutal effects of gun violence in our city where our children are being gunned down in the streets as young as eight, just standing on the corner with their family, we should all cry out, Hosanna, God save us. The ongoing challenge of quality affordable housing where those in our city who signed up for affordable housing a decade ago are still on the wait list. We should cry out, Hosanna, God save us. Widespread quality education, widespread quality education is still a thing hoped for but not yet realized, and we should cry out, Hosanna. And these cries, they're matched with ways that we ought to live our lives and participate in the Hosanna. Ways we are invited to wave palm branches of service and solidarity to accompany our songs of salvation. Yeah. Places where we collectively 
ought cry out and live out a Hosanna. And there are ways individually that we are Jerusalem, are there not? Maybe it's a fractured relationship with someone that you have that seems beyond repair and you find yourself saying, Hosanna, God save us. Maybe you say it with a question mark. Hosanna, can you save in this situation? Perhaps it's a health issue and you don't even know if you can ask God to save. Fearful to even utter the words of a silent prayer, but in your soul there's an ache for Hosanna. Or a hope for a future that seems elusive and that seems like the that it's slipping through your fingers, a, a future you've longed for and worked for and hustled for, and the brakes just aren't coming, and out of frustration or even anger, maybe, you're saying, Hosanna! God, are you going to save? Church, I want you to know we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there in story yet, but God does save. God will save. Just as Jesus' entry into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago was God making good on God's promise to save, to restore all that was broken in the world, including God's relationship with you and your world, our world, in that there is hope that God can and is in the process of mending all that is not right in us and with us and around us. And this morning, I want us to remember that truth and to place our faith again in that truth, perhaps for the first time or again or at the start of a new year, so that we can remember that God saves. Hosanna. God saves. Let me pray for us. Spirit of God. pray that you would come in this moment, that you would, um, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us in whatever way that you want or that you need to. And God, for friends that are in this room, God, in whatever areas of their life that they are saying in the quietness of this moment, God, save. I need, I need you to enter this area of my life just as you enter Jerusalem, God relationships or health issues or financial issues or just comfort in one's own skin, God, that would you come into that place and would you say, would you rescue, would you heal, would you liberate? And God, there are places in this, in our city, in our world, in our region, God, that break our hearts, that have left on our own overwhelm us. But yet, God, we stand in this place on 15th Street, Northeast D.C., and we say, God, Hosanna, we're trusting you. That the one that, that has saved in the past that will save again, it's just on the horizon. And Lord, thank you for the invitation to join you in that liberation. So Spirit, would you meet us in this spot? Would you minister to us? And would you find us standing on the truth that, God, you do save? In Jesus' name, amen.